Every year, on her birthday, Laura gets a letter from a stranger. That stranger claims to know the whereabouts of her missing friend, Bobby. I love you, Laura. But there's a catch. He'll only tell her what he knows in exchange for something personal. So begins Laura's sordid relationship with her new pen pal, built on a foundation of quid pro quo. Something for something. Her quest for closure will push her to bizarre acts of humiliation and harm. Yet no matter how hard she tries, she cannot escape her correspondence demands. The letters keep coming, and as time passes, they have a profound effect on Laura. For she knows, deep down, that she can't trust a single word, he says. No Sleep Podcast presents Dear Laura by Gemma Amore Chapter 2 torment of Laura's ruined ankle was unbelievable. As soon as the stick had been pulled from her flesh, she felt faint, lightheaded. The forest spun around her. Hot sweat rolled down her face, mingling with rainwater. There was so much pain. It was almost too much to bear. Almost. Pain is just an obstacle. And obstacles are simply there to be overcome. Laura told herself this through gritted teeth. Jerkily, her hands shaking as her wound screamed at her, she poured cold, fresh water from her bottle over her ankle. She wondered briefly about taking off her boot first, but knew what would happen if she did. The foot would swell, and she'd never get the boot back on. The water rinsed away the fresh gouts of blood that bubbled out of her, and eventually, she could see a ragged, splinter-flecked wound. She picked out the splinters as best she could with uncooperative fingers, and then ran an antiseptic wipe across the whole mess, before placing a dressing from the first aid kit over it, and bandaging the area as tightly as she could without cutting off the circulation in her foot entirely. (coughs) That done, she collapsed back against the floor, exhausted, and thought about giving up. It was tempting. It would be so easy to just lie here all night, Admit that she was not made of strong enough stuff for this task. This journey. She could drag the tarpaulin she had in her backpack over her body and sleep until the morning, when she might feel stronger. She could retrace her steps in the low light of dawn, get herself to a hospital, forget about the letters and the codes, forget about everything, and go back to her life knowing that she tried, at least. I tried, Bobby. 
I really did. But as soon as the words left her mouth, Laura knew she couldn't give up. Because if she did, the knife that lived in her heart would remain, twisting and festering always. And more than that, more than anything, she wanted to wake up and feel safe again. Safe and whole. No, she needed to finish this. Once and for all. Get up, Laura! Her words were almost swallowed by the incessant patter of the rain. So she said it again, louder this time. Get up, Laura! And so she did. She packed everything away carefully in her bag, ignored the throbbing burn devouring her leg, and stood up. It took her a moment to find her balance, for she was tired and stiff from the fall. But she steadied herself against a tree trunk and took several deep breaths until she felt less like she was about to keel over again. Then she checked her compass and looked at the folded square of a map in a rainproof case that also hung around her neck. She was fairly certain she was still on track, roughly. Muttering to herself as she calculated her new location, she reset her position as best she could to compensate for the fall down the embankment, put her injured leg out tentatively, and took a wobbling step forward. Then another, and another. I'm coming, Bobby. And the forest waited patiently. In the aftermath of Bobby's disappearance, 13-year-old Laura realized that confrontation was unavoidable, a natural byproduct of a missing child scenario. But that didn't make it any easier to deal with. Being the last person to see Bobby alive made the quiet, uncommunicative young girl a target for other people's frustration and grief. And Bobby's mother set her sights on that target almost immediately. She turned up at Laura's house a fortnight after he had broken her heart, broken all their hearts by climbing into the blue van with the mysterious stranger. Laura was supposed to be in school, but was instead curled up in a fetal position on the couch, a bowl of popcorn lying untouched by her side, a movie playing on the TV that she looked at, but did not see. Her own mother had taken a few weeks' vacation to spend some time with her. Mrs. Scott did this without complaint, at first. But as the days went by, and Laura showed no inclination or desire to go back to school, the impatient woman became more and more restless. She hovered anxiously near her daughter, sensing her need, but also finding it a bind. You know, it wouldn't kill you to get up and maybe go for a walk today, Laura. And it might be nice for you to get some fresh air. You can't hide in the house forever. Okay, Mom. And, you know, eventually, I'm going to have to go back to work. I'm getting so behind, Laura. I I can't stay home with you much longer. I have deadlines. Other people who rely on me, you understand? I understand. Look, I know you're upset about Bobby. We all are. We love him. You know that. But this is not good for you, sweetie. Moping around like this... You need to try and get up. Get on with your life. You can't stop everything because Bobby is missing. Laura, are you even listening to me? Yes, Mom. So how about it? How about a nice walk around the block? Not now, Mom. 
Maybe later. Laura's mother continued to push, continued to drop pointed remarks into each passing hour. Remarks about how much extra work she would have to do as a result of her absence from the office, and the impact it would have upon her already overloaded schedule. Laura bore these remarks the same way she came to bear everything, acknowledging them, shouldering the burden of them stoically, accepting everyone else's discomfort and pain as her own fault somehow. And then Bobby's mother came, with her angry fists against the frosted glass of the front door. Before Laura knew what was happening, the distraught, furious woman was inside the house and through the hall and into the room and had her hands on Laura's shoulders. And then she was shaking her, hard. Laura's head whipped back and forth, and Bobby's mother, whom she had always politely called Mrs. Everly ever since she had been tiny, despite the woman's insistence that she call her Tara, began screaming at her with a cracked, hoarse voice that belied how many hours of the past few weeks she'd spent crying. She shook Laura like a rag doll, and at one point, the slight girl thought she might faint. How could you let him go like that, Laura? How? You were supposed to be his friend. Laura bore the assault silently, too shocked to do anything else, until her mother raced across the room and wrestled Mrs. Everly away. Holding the distraught woman back, body braced tight as a bowstring against the windmilling arms and reaching hands that clutched at missing answers. Tara, what are you doing? Get off of her! Jesus! You could have stopped him, Laura! You should have stopped him! What are you doing? She's only a child. Look at her! Look at her! Don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Eventually, Mrs. Everly stopped trying to get to Laura and burst into tears, sagging into her neighbor's arms. It's good. It's okay, Tara. It's okay. He'll come back. I know he will. Uh You don't know that. You don't know that he could be dead! My baby, my baby could be dead! Nobody knows where he is! She was the last person to see him alive! It's okay. It's okay. Mrs. Scott did her best to soothe her friend, whilst keeping her away from her own child. Meanwhile, Laura lay discarded on the couch, stunned, head pounding from the motion and act of being shaken by the woman who had, until now, treated her as her own daughter. And as she lay there, she thought the same thing over and over, a persistent, nasty thought that echoed like a struck bell around the shaded vaults of her young mind. This is all my fault. After he was taken, after the fight with Bobby's mother, Laura would wake each morning and lie in bed, running the fingers of her left hand along the back of her right hand, mimicking that last moment she'd had with Bobby before he left, trying to recall his face, trying, but always failing. His features had blurred in the year that had passed since that day, and the details of him, what he sounded like, his smell, 
The feel of his presence, all of it bled around the edges like ink on wet writing paper. The knife would twist, and the pain would spread throughout her body. On the morning of her 14th birthday, the day of the first letter, she lay in this fashion, sunlight slicing through her curtains and across the room, motes of dust darting about lazily in the bright illuminated air. Her fingers caressed the back of her right hand, but the act bought less and less comfort the more she did it, and so she stopped and simply held her hands up against the sunlight, studying the outline of her fingers painted bright gold by the sun. It was while she lay like this that she heard the doorbell ring. She thought no more of it for a moment or two, but then the doorbell rang again. Go away! The bell sounded out again, and then again, and again, insistent, impossible to ignore. Laura's heart began to thump with irregularity in her chest. She was alone in the house. She often was, despite everything. Her parents drifted across each other's paths like clouds, one arriving home with slumped shoulders and huge dark circles beneath their eyes, just as the other one was heading out to the car. They worked hard to maintain the life they'd built around themselves, forgetting, in the process, what that life was really supposed to be about. It was a lonely way to live for Laura, but it had always been like that. She'd told herself over the years that it was fine, that she had something her peers did not, as much freedom as she liked. Her mom and dad didn't much care what she got up to while they were at work. She'd told herself she didn't need her parents hanging around all the time, because she'd had Bobby. Except that now, she didn't. She didn't have Bobby. Bobby was gone, and she was alone on her 14th birthday, and someone was at the door, and it frightened her. The doorbell kept ringing. Something huge swelled inside of Laura's chest. She thought it might have been anger, but she couldn't be sure, because nothing she felt made any real sense to her anymore. The feeling continued to grow and grow, and suddenly the fear she had felt only seconds earlier burst like a bubble. She flung aside her duvet, struggled into a shirt, and stomped downstairs, putting the full force of her weight into each step. How dare this person come to her house and make such a racket? How dare they? Why was it up to her to answer the door anyway? Why was she alone? Why were her parents never around? Why was it up to her to deal with all this shit all the time? Why was everything so fucking unfair? She slowed as she reached the bottom of the staircase and looked to the front door. She could see a dim shadow behind the frosted glass, dark and tall, too tall and broad to be a woman. She frowned. She could see a pile of bills and other letters sitting on the hall stand. The mailman had already been that day. Whoever this was, it was not the mailman. But it was a man. A big, tall man in dark clothing. Laura's anger dissipated. Her fear returned. She was alone in the house, and her best friend had been taken from her by another such man. A big man like this a faceless mystery man. She held her breath, not wishing the person to know she was there after all. Suspicion had become part of her natural chemistry now, as had self-preservation. In her mind, every stranger was the boogeyman. Every shadow was a threat. There was danger around every corner these days. Too late, Laura realized with a sudden sick jolt 
that the man could probably still see her standing there in the hall through the frosted glass. See her form every bit as well as she could see his, standing out there on the porch. Despite this, she remained motionless, rooted to the spot, waiting. The doorbell rang once more, and she flinched and kept her distance. Then, slowly, the front door handle began to depress downwards. The man on the other side of the door was trying it, to see if the door was unlocked, to see if it would open. Laura's blood ran cold. She kept statue still. She wondered, with horror, what would happen if the door was not locked, even though she was sure it was, because she always kept it locked when she was alone in the house. She wondered if she would see the door open inwards, just a crack, whether a face would peer in through that crack, just an inch-wide strip of a face. Or maybe she would only be able to see an eye, roomy and frantic, staring into her house through the small slit. Or a hand, fingernails dirty and broken and bloodstained, reaching for her. She saw neither. The door was locked. The door handle returned to its normal position. The man's silhouette ducked down, out of sight of the frosted glass. And a thin, yellowish envelope slid through the tiny gap beneath the front door, skittering across the polished floor of her hallway with a soft noise. Moments later, the dark shadow straightened, then moved away from the glass. Laura waited a further 15 minutes without moving, frozen like a deer in headlights, breathing hard, tingling from head to toe until she was sure, absolutely sure, that the man was gone and that she was safe. Then she moved forward, bent down carefully, and picked up the letter as if she were picking up a dirty rag, holding it away from her body, pinched tight between her thumb and forefinger. The envelope was handwritten. There was no postage stamp. The man was definitely not the mailman. And if she'd been in any doubt, the mailman didn't deliver mail without postage stamps. A neighbor, perhaps, with a note for her mom and dad. Maybe it was a card. It was her birthday, after all. Laura examined the letter. No. It was addressed to her. One word written in a strongly slanted hand. The ink pressed hard into the soft, dirty ochre of the envelope. An intimate word. The most intimate. Her name. Laura. It sounded confident. Over-familiar. No to, or for the attention of, or surname. Just her name. It felt wrong. The letter felt just plain wrong in her hands. She'd mistaken it for a birthday card. That would make sense, today being that day. But this was thin and lightweight. It was a letter. A handwritten letter. Made out to her. She opened it. The forest leaned in on the woman that had once been the child, and she limped on stubbornly beneath a canopy of dripping leaves. She knew that walking on her leg was a bad idea. She knew, and carried on anyway. Every step she made pressed her wound painfully against the unresisting leather of her boot, and as early evening gradually became the first tentative flush of twilight, it became harder for her to find a steady footing on the uneven ground. She stumbled repeatedly, root snarls and barbed loops of blackberry bushes lurking everywhere, and wondered why it was that she couldn't cry, like normal people. 
Had she in fact died years ago? Was she now just a ghost? A memory of a girl in pain? Drifting, endlessly drifting, towards something indistinct? There were no answers from the trees. Only more roots. More discomfort. The rain gradually petered out. The air grew quiet and hung heavy, laden with scent. Colors slowly leached away as she moved, and she found herself hemmed in by shadows, by muted grays and browns, by pockets of dark. Time was running out. A mounting anxiety started to eat away at her resolve. What if she got lost? What if she didn't make it in time? What if... Stop thinking. Just walk. She unhooked her trousers from another bramble, feeling the fabric snag and tear like the fabric of a 13-year-old girl's heart. And no matter how hard she tried to reason with herself, that one particular question would not dislodge itself from her mind. But what if... What if there was no Bobby at the end of this rainbow? What if the person she was supposed to meet didn't show? She stopped, overwhelmed by a squeezing fist of dread and doubt. What if he did? And what if, because of that, she died out here, alone in the forest? The trees bowed their heads, whispering gently. Don't stop, they said. She walked. The letter was written in a heavily angled hand that was hard to read at first. Laura skimmed each sentence, frowning, and then reread more slowly, lips moving as she spoke the words out loud, something she usually only did when trying to solve a hard equation in her math homework. As she read, her heart sank to the bottom of her belly, and the words began to rattle around inside her brain. And once they were there, she found there was no getting them out. She was stuck with them. For life. Little poisoned words, rattling like dried peas in a can. Dear Laura, you don't know me yet, but I know you. I've been watching you. I know you, and I know your friend Bobby. I know where Bobby is. Bobby is dead. Laura read this and felt a peculiar rushing sensation in her ears. Her heart contracted in her chest so hard she thought she might die, right then and there on the spot. She reached out blindly for the stair banister behind her and slowly felt for the bottom step, upon which she collapsed, knees splayed out frog-like. Her eyes stung, but remained dry. All the tears she was supposed to cry were trapped in the cavity around her heart, and they would stay there for many years to come, solidifying into a hard, waxy case. The letter continued. I'm sorry for it. I couldn't help it. I hope you'll believe me when I say that. I just couldn't help myself. Anyway, I expect you'd like me to tell you where he is. I expect you think I'll do it out of the goodness of my heart, or because I feel guilty. I am sorry for what I did, but I don't trust you well enough to tell you my secrets. Not yet. You have to earn my trust. So here's how it works, Laura. 
If you want Bobby, you have to give me something first. Something personal. If you do as I ask, I will send you a clue. Something for something, an eye for an eye. All natural and fair, just like nature intended. Do you see? It has to be fair. That's the rule. Like a game. I know you like games, Laura. I watch you playing them sometimes with your family. Except they don't play them much with you anymore, do they? They don't make a lot of time for you, Laura. You're a lonely person, like me. It makes me sad for you. I think you're very beautiful, Laura. Has anyone told you that yet? I hope not. I would like to be the first to say it. You are beautiful. Sometimes I watch you, and all I can think about after is your sweet face. There is another rule I must tell you about. This one is easy. If you take this letter to the police, you will never find Bobby's body. If you tell your parents, you will never find Bobby's body. If you tell anyone about the contents of this letter, I will come after them and I will make them disappear too, just like I did with Bobby. This has to be our secret, or the arrangement is off. No police. I hope I can trust you, Laura. I shall send further instructions separately. Yours, with respect, X. Laura let the letter and the envelope it came in fall to the floor. They fluttered down like dried leaves, And what she didn't realize at the time was that this small piece of folded paper, covered in strange angled handwriting, was not a letter at all, but rather a map. And upon that map, the course of her life was set, plotted out like coordinates. And Laura had no choice but to follow that course. Dear Laura was written and adapted for audio by Gemma Amore. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Kristen DiMercurio as the narrator. Mary Murphy as Laura. Nicole Doolin as Mrs. Scott. Aaron Lillis as Mrs. Evely. And David Cummings as X. Join us next week for Chapter 3 of Dear Laura. This audio production is copyright 2021 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. 
The copyright for Dear Laura is held by Gemma Amor. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Raisin Media, Inc.